Welcome back to the University of Minnesota Extension's Nutrient Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Wilcox, Communications Generalist here at U of M Extension. In this episode, we're talking all about fall soil sampling. We have four panelists here with us today. Can you each give us a quick introduction? Uh, my name is Daniel Kaiser. I'm a nutrient management specialist um, located out of the St. Paul campus. Brad Carlson. I'm an Extension educator located in the regional office in Mankato. Hi, I'm Lindsay Pease. I'm a nutrient and water management specialist at the Northwest Research and Outreach Center in Crookston. And I am Fabian Fernandez, also a nutrient management specialist located in the St. Paul campus. Okay, first question. What do conditions look like around the state? Well, the story is, you know, unfortunately a little similar than it's been the last couple of years for Northwest Minnesota in that we have had a dry summer. Um, this is probably the third one uh, in a row. And we are still looking at kind of dry conditions. As we're recording this, you know, we have had a little bit of rain, but not enough to, you know, make a big dent in all of the dry soils, especially if you are in one of the heavier clay areas uh, of, of the valley. Uh, we're still looking at really pretty dry soils going into the winter. I would say uh, in my area across south southern Minnesota, uh, things are progressing really fast. Uh, the accumulation of heat units was such this year that we hit uh, physiological maturity of the crop uh, uh, a lot quicker than normal. Um, we started seeing corn coming out already about two weeks ago. Some of the, the larger farms with uh, with more acres to cover, maybe start pushing it a little bit as far as uh, the moisture being high. I don't, obviously, I don't think anybody went out before black layer, but but uh, things have switched to beans now. Um, so soybean harvest well underway. Uh, you do see a little bit of corn still coming out. Uh, one of my kids uh, who's who's in school in in uh, southwestern Minnesota. Uh, in the Marshall area, uh, was visiting this weekend, said that he thought maybe 25% of the crop was taken out in in his area where he was at, and and so I think the probably the 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 main thing here is uh, crops coming out a lot faster than than it maybe normally does. We're going to have a whole lot more time this fall uh, to be looking at at doing field work and so forth. I think really the key for for most farmers with with respect to this is. Uh, not to uh, not to get in a big rush because uh, the um, we don't have any reason to believe that that uh, that freeze up uh, or or uh, uh, cool soil temperatures are going to come at any time uh, uh, other than when we normally expect them. We just we're just going to have a lot more time this fall to get stuff done in in a timely fashion. Yeah, and that's one of the things. Kind of, I've been around the southeast. Um, <clears throat> the central part of Minnesota and stuff. I mean, dry, I think is kind of the word. Um, just looking at a lot of it. I mean, obviously we're looking at, I mean, recording this around the 25th of September. So looking at, we know we're hitting some rain right now, but it's still going to take quite a bit of rain, I think, to start to alleviate some of the issues, you know, particularly with some of the dry soils. And I'll have some comments here in a little bit talking about that relative sampling, because there's some things I think to think about moving forward. Um, it was interesting to me, though, seeing the corn, the amount of corn going out and just looking at some of our plots, particularly the ones that we had issues with drought. I mean, those, you know, looking at the corn, I one of our stations at Rosemont, I was looking at some stuff um, towards middle of, uh, you know, third week of September and just looking at 
some of our the drier fields the corn kind of looking like it's shut down i mean amazingly enough the you know looks not it doesn't look too bad in terms of yield we'll kind of see when the combine goes through but um but yeah it's just looking at especially going to the southeast how dry it's been it's been kind of that way this year so there will be a few things to think about i think kind of moving forward particularly when it comes to fall soil sampling that some people may want to consider yeah and looking at a lot of the uh trials across the state i would say that we're probably about two weeks ahead of the schedule than typical. And um, this is definitely a year where how soils have been managed in the past is, is has kind of um, shown up. You know, if you have done a good job uh, with um, maintaining soils, uh, tillage, those kinds of things, you definitely saw a difference because every drop of water was important for this crop this year. And uh, areas where it's compacted or things like that where the soils has some issues that's where the crop starts to fizzle out faster fastest this year and um and same with um soils that are kind of shallow or don't have a lot of capacity to store water i mean we did start the season for the most part with adequate amounts of water no huge not not like the typical but there was water there and so if you had soils with lower capacity to store water for whatever reason for poor management or just uh, just the conditions of that soil that's where you kind of run out of water faster and um, and the crops started to uh, to fizzle out quicker this this growing season but it will be kind of a mixed bag i think in terms of uh, yields i've seen some tremendous years of corn this year in some places and uh in another not too far from from that one there will be you know really low yield like way suboptimal and so it's kind of all over the place this year i've uh been talking to a few people i haven't really heard any good yield updates but uh, some of the um some of the the discussion i've had with some of my farmer friends were that some of the conditions were just right at just the right time as far as i'm hearing uh reports of there being uh, 22 uh kernels around on the ear and and so forth but then it got dry at the wrong time uh so we're hearing low test weights and we're hearing uh kind of shallow uh fill on those kernels and tip dieback and and uh, i know we experienced a lot of uh uh the 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 bean fields at the end of the year here uh, just never put pods on at the top because it just got way too dry right at the very end. And so I think really the top end of, of the yields uh, uh, just just didn't happen. Uh, um, and so we were we were potentially going to see some really huge yields. And I, I don't I don't think we're going to see that. Yeah, and I'll kind of see what things look like, too, when we start getting yield back, because we got hit with some hail in a few of the sites. So that'll be kind of the interesting thing to me to see what some of that looks like, particularly some of our field sites. Um, you know, we had field sites down by Rochester that really got hit pretty hard just to, to see how that impacts. But I'll kind of echo those sentiments that Brad said. At least some of the stuff I looked at, it didn't look too bad, but you can kind of tell the, the ears looked a little rubbery and it seemed like the test weights are going to be a little bit lower. And that's, you know, kind of the thing about not having the moisture towards the end of the growing season. So we'll see. I mean, I think we're, we're better off probably than what we could have been, you know, had, you know, it been extreme where we had got no rain but um it's it's i mean there's gonna be some areas that are worse than others just just kind of um when you, when you start getting some of the yield back uh this this fall is there a best time to take soil samples in the fall well we see this a lot particularly um some of the the i know at least one of the 
soil testing labs, I'll put out an article usually about taking samples behind the combine. And I think certainly getting a sample is probably better than not getting a sample. Uh, if you're sampling for phosphorus and potassium, they're kind of two different animals when it comes to timing. Um, with phosphorus, generally, it's, the numbers will be consistent across the growing season. So, I mean, you can sample a fair amount earlier and not have any issues. And I think zinc, uh, some of the other micros too, you're not going to see too much of an issue with uh, potassium that we do know there are some effect that just having the actively growing crop out there, you can see some diurnal variation where the, the tests will go up and down. So the, the later you can wait, it's generally better. However, um, you know, fall, I don't know if you're going to see a whole lot of difference if you're talking about a month's time difference in the fall. So you know, I just try to plan where you can get the samples. I think that's going to be the main thing. Um, and certainly if you can't get out this fall, I mean, there are some options, particularly if you've got a field going to beans, um, maybe about taking samples sometime around June if you don't want to get them taken in the spring. So it's going to be kind of one of those things just, just to see what time is out there. As Brad said, I mean, with the crop going out right now, I mean, there really shouldn't be any issues with being able to get some of the fall work done it's but it'll also depend on you know what happens with um the weather moving forward uh, i think we got spoiled last year in the fact that i don't think my crew had a um had a down day all fall because we could always go somewhere to get some work done which i guess is kind of bad news for some of them because it means we can have a lot of work going on out there but um kind of good from a work standpoint in the fact that there really wasn't anything limiting us um time-wise for being able to get some of the work done in the fall when I look at some of the, the data, the averages that we put together, or the numbers that we put together for the advanced nitrogen smart session on adapting to climate, uh, what we see is, at least at Wasika, is that the average date we get below 50 degrees soil temperature, so kind of the start of our nitrogen application season, is October 18th. The average day that the soil freezes at Wasika is uh, the 9th of December. That date has been marching later and later uh, over the last 30 years. It, it used to be more like the, the second or third uh, uh, 30 years ago. But uh, anyway, uh, that kind of gives us an idea what kind of window we're dealing with. Uh, as far as as the amount of time we have this fall to to do some things, um, I think really the uh, you know the key with a lot of this is from the soil sampling standpoint is if you're going to use the data then to do an application, uh, how much time do you have to get that done? So obviously when we talk about uh, the P and K part. Uh, you know that that's kind of more reflective on on uh, trying to yeah, get this fall uh, the fall uh, fertilizer application done if that's what you're up to. Um, if you're talking nitrogen, I guess it really then it kind of depends on if you're sampling for nitrogen. Um, but uh, typically speaking, you know, most parts of the state we aren't really high on the fall nitrogen test, and so uh, in a lot of cases we don't necessarily look at at taking that uh, test yet in, in the fall and then making a rate decision also in the fall. Uh, that would be kind of uh, atypical. Um, and then I think the other thing is, of course, to be cognizant of is the manure application window, which I think a lot of folks uh, um, are, are, you know, the, typically what we see is, is as soon as the, the crop gets out, people want to get started on that. 
just realize that uh, when the soils are still warm and there's a lot of time, uh, really puts those nutrients at risk. And so, you know, again, the topic du jour here is soil sampling, not necessarily our fall fertilizer uh, outlook, but I think it is worth at least keeping that in the back of your mind that if you're thinking you need to rush out there because you also are going to get going right away on those fertilizer applications, you know, like I already said, uh, remember there's a lot of time left. It is the typical thing where we have an early fall um, to be out of the field uh, with the harvest and kind of do the schedule like you normally would, you know, uh, where in a typical year you will harvest and then you you will start soil sampling pretty quick after that. Uh, this year, as Brad said, there is there will be plenty of time. And the other thing, too, is that the soils have been so dry that even if we start getting more rain, it will take a quite a while before the soils get to a point where uh, it will be difficult to do field work. So don't get too antsy if you start to see some rain. It's actually a good thing that we will get some rain. Hopefully we'll get more to to improve uh, water in the soil, but also in terms of soil sampling, especially when we're talking about nitrogen sampling that is deeper, uh, you, you have an easier time getting that probe into the ground. The the other thing with nitrogen too is that we've, we've had you know, two, three years of fairly dry conditions. And so uh, there could be potentially quite a bit of nitrogen uh, in the soil. And what we see typically is after the crop goes to physiological maturity, there is no more nitrogen uptake. Um, so nitrogen values start to go up too. So if you want to get a good idea of how much nitrogen you have in the field, that's also important to, to wait um, so that that process of mineralization has time to, to occur. And so you have a better estimate of how much nitrogen you have in the, in the soil ahead of a fall application, if that's what you're planning to do. But uh, like uh, Brad mentioned, normally we, we don't really encourage people to do too much with nitrogen in the fall. Just simply because the the big uh, elephant in the room is spring conditions when it comes to nitrogen management. We could measure nitrogen now in the fall, uh, but that doesn't necessarily tell us anything about nitrogen availability for the next crop because nitrogen loss tends to happen mostly in the spring once the the um, the soils are defrosted and we start getting some rain and water flowing through the through the soil. So don't get too excited about uh, definitely nitrogen sampling and like Dan said for the other nutrients for P and K, um, just also wait because um, as he said that uh, in my previous life when I was working more on P and K, I remember looking at the question and Potassium is definitely one where if you want to look at the values and have any relationship to previous years, you definitely need to wait until you have about the same conditions as in previous years so that those numbers are representative of what you, you saw in, in previous seasons. Yeah, I just want to echo what Fabian said and maybe build on it a little more a conversation that I had with a, a farmer that I know a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the potential for carryover nitrogen. And his first comment to me was, well, then I need to be thinking about doing more corn on corn so I can use that nitrogen next year. 
Well, I don't know if that's necessarily the case, although this particular individual uh, did have a long manure history on a lot of his fields. And so I kind of suggested that uh, because we've had several dry years in a row and a lot of those fields have historically had manure on them, that, that coming out of soybeans this year uh, is one of the scenarios where we do need to think about sampling for soil nitrate. Uh, and then the point that Fabian made that uh, a lot of our accumulation of that nitrate is is driven by the mineralization that happens late in the year uh, because the crop reached maturity early. It's still very warm. Uh, we're we're going to continue to see that mineralization, especially now that we've started get some water it's going to help uh help the microbial activity uh move along it's obviously not real wet but but uh the, you know a lot of the states got at least an inch or two of rain now over the last uh, uh week or so and so uh we're getting a little more moisture at the top so if what you're looking at is trying to capture that and measure that uh, you need to wait for it to actually happen before you're going to find it. The thing that you need to remember about the, the soil test uh, for nitrate is it is for nitrate. It's not testing all sources of nitrogen. And so if that nitrogen's there, uh, but it's it's uh, in an organic form in the case of places where we have a manure history, you're not finding that. And so you're not able to really adequately uh, credit that. And so, uh, yeah, it's worth thinking about. Those are the fields where you want to sample uh, for for uh, residual nitrate. It's also worth thinking about that maybe that needs to just wait until spring to happen. Yeah. And just to, you know, kind of add on, I always like to remind people that, you know, the temperature of your refrigerator is 40 degrees, you know, to keep microbial activity slow. And, you know, similar things happen with soil. That's why we talk about waiting until the soils are at 50 degrees to put on nitrogen. It's because that's when the microbes start to slow down. So yeah, we we're getting a little water that can increase their activity. The temperatures are still warm. So um, you know, so there's still a lot of activity happening out in the soils. Uh, the other kind of argument for waiting is definitely because, you know, as we've mentioned before, the soils are dry this year. And there's definitely like a Goldilocks principle, you know, when for the soil conditions, if anybody's ever done hand sampling, you know exactly what I mean. So you want those soils to be at the right moisture to come out nicely out of a hand probe. Um, because if it's too dry or too wet, um, it's, it's really, really difficult. And I'm kind of curious, I mean, in terms of the number of people that are using or taking the samples that are actually using some of this soil nitrate data, because in the end, you know, taking the test and not using it or not following through with it, I think there's some issues there, particularly with the amount of work that it's involved in taking the test. But as Fabian said, you know, we know that it's likely that we'll see some change and the amount of nitrate in the soil over time. We always do. Now, the, the question is with this dry weather, you know, does that slow some of the microbial activity? It might. However, you know, I've kind of been thinking a little bit more about this fall sampling issue. And, you know, at least from a screening standpoint, I think there might still be some potential value in looking for some of these fields that may be carrying more than what we can normally consider to be kind of an average amount of, of soil nitrate nitrogen. And I've Kind of looking at just some of the data that I've collected in the last few years, just a number of sites where I think it would help me at least if I had the data in the fall, possibly to look at some of the things in the spring. I mean, the issue that we're having anymore, though, is when the decisions are being made in terms of what to apply. I mean, a lot of that generally goes, comes in place before some of this stuff, actually, these, these samples get pulled. So, I mean, I think there's some room, and that's the thing, kind of just looking at some of the data that AgVice sent, they had some early samples, um, I think this was sent to me around, uh, let's look here, around the end of September. 
that they're talking roughly 15 to 30 percent of their soil samples have almost twice of what their normal carrying amount they're, they're normally carrying a nitrate nitrogen on an annual basis so i think it's something to think about i mean with the there, there definitely are going to be some circumstances out there. I think where the the rate can be cut. It's just um, essentially how much you want to believe taking a sample in the fall, how accurate that's going to be in the spring. And you know the data that I have shows that we're no more likely to be higher or lower or the the same in the amount of residual nitrate. So it's kind of just a it's a toss up. It's just a question of how much difference we're going to see from fall to spring. And if you're dealing with a situation where we're getting into soil nitrate levels that we can almost get into a full credit of nitrogen, I don't think you're really gonna see that big of a difference where that's all gonna disappear. So, I mean, I think that's kind of a good thought for maybe some future research is just looking at the consistency of this stuff over time and then just trying to look at some of these fields because I think it's you know it's a good way to maybe look at areas or fields that you might have a higher residual nitrate level. And I think one of those would be manure history fields are likely those that you're likely going to probably see some some carryover. So I guess some things to think about, you know, with it in terms of timing, you know, why we'd like to delay. I think though getting that data is probably the best thing you can do at least, at least to have some information to make a decision off of. Well, and I think I think uh, another point on that, Dan, you raise an interesting uh, point as far as just seeing what it is in the fall. Um Remember that our recommendations to credit uh, soil nitrate are are for a two foot test, uh, typically done zero to one and one to two feet, and and obviously P and K samples are usually only to six inches. And I know uh, there's been individuals in the past that have thought, well, let me just let's test the nitrate too and see what it is. Uh, those numbers uh, are not correlated to uh, overall credit or or to any kind of a recommendation. However, uh, it may give you a heads up. Uh, if you get a high number there, go back and take the take the zero to two, uh, in particularly if we're talking about maybe doing it in the spring. Uh, so I wouldn't say that a number like that is completely unusable. However, it's it's not probably adequate for uh, making a final uh, final rate decision. What should you watch out for when sampling dry fields? Well, I think Lindsay hit it earlier is just sampling depth is the thing I would kind of watch out for. I mean, if you've got hydraulics or something where you can get a consistent depth, I think you'll have some advantage this fall. I mean, just trying to take samples in mid-September, we're down by uh, Rochester, and usually it's like sampling through butter down there. It's it's nice. It's the best best sampling we usually have. But this year, I could barely get the probe in the ground. So it's going to be one of those things that you have to remember that our, our soil tests are based on a set depth. I mean, you, you can be plus or minus maybe a little bit on them, but, um, you know, if you're normally, you're, you're set a six inch depth and maybe you can only get the probe in the ground four inches, I mean, what's likely going to happen is we're generally going to see some stratification of the nutrients near the soil surface where you'll likely skew things high. So it's one of those things I guess I'd watch out for is um, just make sure your probes are in good shape if you're hand probing this fall. If you've got hydraulics, you definitely have an advantage. Um, but just keep an eye on the depth you're sampling because you could have some issues um, if we don't get enough rainfall to get it to a point at which the, the soils can sample easily. So that's kind of the main thing I'd be afraid of on that is just to, just to kind of watch the depth, just to make sure you're, you're getting the depth you need for the, the tests that you're trying to or the nutrients you're trying to analyze for. Yeah, and you know that's the main point is the soil sampling depth for P and K. Uh, from the nitrogen side, uh, we alluded a little bit to this, but uh, 
with the dry conditions is is the fact that mineralization of nitrogen starts uh, happen. I mean, it happens through the whole growing season. That's what that actually allows plants to have all the nitrogen that they need. Uh, they they depend heavily on that mineralization part. But once the plants uh, get to physiological maturity, that's where we start to see the buildup because basically there is nothing to to take that up. But it does take, you know, time. And as Brad alluded, uh, the first thing that happens in that process of mineralization is for nitrogen to go into the ammonium form. And then it takes a little bit longer to go into nitrate. And so if the soils are dry, um, what we've seen in drier conditions is that typically ammonium tends to build up uh, and it takes longer for nitrate to, to be converted to nitrate. So if you go out and soil sample, uh, chances are that you might not pick up uh, as much nitrogen as you have in there simply because it's sitting there in the ammonium form, which is not what you're testing for. There are tests that you can use to, to look at that. And in research we do. And so that's why I know that some, some years we have actually more ammonium than we have nitrate in the fall, uh, in the first part of the season, especially, or the first part of the fall. And that's exacerbated if it's drier in drier conditions. So that's another reason to to wait longer into the fall if you're going to take samples for nitrogen. And Fabian mentioned potassium earlier, and that's one of the things that we know that potassium does get recycled out of the crop residue. So, you know, I I think one thing to think about, so if you're sampling ahead of a soybean crop, if it's coming out of corn, it might be better just to not sample this fall and wait or start switching some of your sampling to the spring or to June, if you can at all do that. I mean, we know that you can still get to the field when the soybeans are small, so it's not a bad time to consider sampling. The thing, if you do that, though, you have to realize if you're trying to assess your overall fertility program over time, that a fall versus a spring sample, you know, given all things, you know, best case scenario, that you're likely going to see differences when it comes to potassium. So that's one of the main things. You know, I'll get some questions here and there, uh, some numbers coming back screwy in dry years. I mean, I attribute you know, a fair amount of that to the uh, the residue recycling, although if you're following corn, we're not really getting a whole lot of that recycled. I think some of the data I've seen, we at best get about 50% of whatever's taken up out of that residue um, by about May timeframe. So it's just the size of that and the ability of the, the, that residue to break down is slow. So the recovery is slow. With soybean, if you're sampling following soybean, I mean, that's less of an issue um, just because if you kind of go out to a field and you see that the leaves kind of tend to disappear pretty quickly um, in the in the fall, that we have less of an issue. So, I mean, that could be something you you could see with potassium. Um, that's where I've kind of, you know, stressed a little bit to people taking samples, maybe to switch timing if they can do it. I mean, the, the issue is if you're going to be putting fertilizer down in the fall, you do not want to be sampling after the fertilizer application. So that's one of the things, you know, Again, getting the numbers better, but you've got to get it at a point at which you have it before the fertilizer goes on. So it's just kind of one of the things to think about, but there is some flexibility if you're just taking zero to six inch samples to potentially look at changing the timing, uh, you know, particularly airing more towards spring. And I think for potassium, it might give you a little bit better results long term. But uh, again, looking at the data, just ma- just make sure you know that, that those numbers may not always be comparable. You know, your comment then took me back about a decade back uh, where when I was doing a lot of PNK work in, in Illinois. And um, just like you said, I, I saw that uh, for phosphorus is not a problem, but for potassium, uh, man, the variability in the fall because of all of these things that you mentioned, you know, the soil, the conditions, 
uh, in the soil, how much potassium has leached out of the crop. All of these variables uh, make it uh, complicated to, to know how much potassium you have on a consistent basis. Uh, and um, at that time, when I was doing that work, I, I really was encouraging farmers to, if they could do it, of course, it doesn't work very well if you're in a rented situation where you're renting the land and things like that. But if you could, to start moving your program towards the spring sampling rather than doing fall sampling for PNK. And then use that information for the following crop because the values for potassium are a lot more reliable and more consistent with the spring sampling because you allow for all of that, all of those things, you know, remove our potassium coming out of the residue and all the chemistry that happens in the soil with uh, potassium getting fixed and released and all of these things uh, to take place so that when you actually take a soil sample, it's reliable and more consistent. You know, on the other point there, and actually I've been hit with this question in the past, Dan mentioned about not uh, not taking a soil test after fertilizer has been applied uh, with the prevalence of uh, split application of nitrogen. And a lot of folks are, uh, for instance, applying half their nitrogen in the fall and then applying the rest at, at a side dress time. Uh, we've had people say, oh, well, it's good to know that uh, there might be a big nitrogen credit. Uh, I only put half of mine on uh, in the fall. Now can I go take a, a soil test? Test and find out how much more I need. Well, no, uh, we do not have uh, that. The, the test is not uh, correlated or calibrated for that application, uh, particularly if you've already applied some nitrogen. There's just no good way of knowing whether you actually pick that up in your sampling or not uh, to be able to, to then use that number for a credit. So while you certainly can do a soil test, uh, prior to a fertilizer application, know your residual nitrate and use that in your overall nitrogen budget. That certainly can affect how much you side dress or even reducing the amount that you side dress. Uh, it's we're not able to go in and take that test after you've uh, you've done an application. Uh, you know, particularly like a fall anhydrous application. Uh, it's it's just depending on what the weather's like uh, between the time the application happened and when you take that test, uh, it's almost impossible to interpret the results. So, so don't, don't be thinking that's a thing to do. That's a really good point, Brad. And um, something you mentioned also reminded me of the fact that with the split applications, and again, you know, fall sampling for nitrogen is debatable because of how, how useful it is just because it can we really predict how much of that will be available for the next crop. But uh, that aside, the other thing that is interesting that I've seen pretty consistent in my research is that when you do a split application, you tend to have more residual nitrogen than you would when when you apply all of your nitrogen, you know, before planting. And so that's that's another thing that you can keep in mind if you have done a split application. Chances are that your soil test values for nitrogen will be uh, slightly higher. Any new thoughts on grid versus zone soil sampling? Well, um, that's that's a question that always comes up, and my standard answer for that it's it depends. Uh, it depends on on what your objectives are. Um, you know, the um, the zone sampling works very well, where you know that you have differences, substantial differences in your field, whether it's topographic or past management or things like that, where um, that may be a better approach to identify what you have for that specific situation. Um, the grid sampling is is the other approach, of course, where you just take uh, samples kind of at 
equal distances throughout throughout the, the field that you're interested in and look at those values. And so it really kind of depends on your situation and your objectives. Both of them are useful tools, but it kind of depends on, on those conditions. So that's that's what I would say. Um, I haven't seen any recent research uh, that has, you know, come up with something different. And that's what I always talk to, to farmers about. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the tendency is to want to zone it. And I don't disagree with that because it saves time and money if you're, uh, if you're using, uh, ending up with taking less samples and just simply going on a grid basis. Uh, unfortunately, though, we don't, if you look at grid sample numbers, uh, and then you lay them over where you think you might have done a zone, uh, frequently they don't really match up well. And, and our, our data indicates that, that your fertilizer application rate should be based on soil test value. And so, you know, I think, I think zoning is a good practice and a fine practice provided you've got it kind of worked out as far as uh, what those zones are and, and uh, uh, what you can get away with as far as reducing the, the total number of samples. But, you know, on the, on the other side, we also have to be cognizant with a grid sample. Uh, if, if the, if you have a, a dividing line between some major topography or soil types running, you know, diagonally through a grid, uh, you know, did that grid represent one side or the other, or maybe neither because you averaged them out. Uh, so those are also some things to think about. Uh, there, there's one other thing I guess I'd like to mention while I'm thinking about it when it comes down to uh, this, and that is I've, I've heard advertisements on the radio recently of, of some computer programs which are uh, taking your yield maps and turning them into uh, fertility plans, and, and uh, that does not involve soil sampling at all. Uh, and so a uh, reminder that that crop removal uh, has not been shown to be a, a really a great strategy. Uh, um, and, and so I guess I'd just be careful about that. It seems quick and easy. Uh, but, uh, you know, frankly, uh, if it really was that quick and easy, we'd have been doing that decades ago already. And, and so uh, um, maybe do some uh, investigation or buyer beware as far as using that from a technology standpoint. Yeah, I was um, I was just thinking exactly the same, Brad. That uh, I've seen that quite a bit with people that take soil samples and then they try to use that information and match it together with yield removal and things like that to to manage their PNK. And it's it's really a bad idea. The the analogy that I I use for that in having looked at data like that is when you do that is like trying to drive by looking at the front wheel of your tractor and make a straight line. Um, it just you cannot do that. It's it, it's going to be a disaster. Uh, it just doesn't work out. Uh, we've tried it. We've looked at it. I'm sure Dan can can talk more about this. But uh, it, it is it is a problem. Um, and the other thing that I would mention um, with whatever you use grid or zone sampling, um, you are taking samples and typically you are analyzing them for PNK. Do look at those values and see what you need um, because in my experience again uh, going back to when I was doing more work on phosphorus and potassium is that in general people tend to apply more phosphorus than what they need I mean they have the soil test information K is deficient phosphorus is sufficient and they go in and apply 
what they normally have done for years. I think there is a huge opportunity there to save on costs and uh, maybe shifting some of those dollars from the nutrient that you don't need to apply as much or any to the one that you need more. So do pay attention to, to those values and use them to your advantage. Yeah, and I think if you look at profitability, I mean, I think you probably hit the nail on the head. If you look at growers that have just been doing crop removal year after year after year, I think they're we're grossly over applying phosphorus. I think you'd probably find the vast majority of them, the phosphorus is well above the critical level and point at which you're going to see any possible return from them. And it seems like we've been so ingrained, particularly since a lot of these soils were low in phosphorus, that they just need it. It almost becomes an addiction to apply it. So I think just looking at what worries me right now is the fact that we're, you know, overestimating the value of phosphorus in many of these soils that are likely able to carry the crop and they're underestimating potassium. I mean, it seems like essentially phosphorus, potassium, now maybe sulfur ahead of potassium that I've been seeing some issues with potassium soil test drops. So that's one of the things I just watch. With that, and if you're zoning and the grid versus zone, I mean, there is a difference too in the quality of how people are gridding. If you just take a single point from the center of that grid, expect a lot of variability from that. I mean, you really still need to do a decent job of getting a good representative area within those grids if you are sampling. Otherwise, um, you know, we know there can be some significant error involved in in plus or minus what that actual soil test is, what the actual value is out there. So. Just be careful with that. Um, you know, the two and a half acre grid, there's nothing wrong with it. I think there's nothing wrong with zones in some fields. But, um, you know, just it's there, there's really not, I think, not a best system overall. It's just whatever fits the particular field. Yeah. And I think if, you know, if you're interested in trying a zone sampling, um, you know, one of the tools that we use as researchers all the time is obviously the web soil survey, which is, you know, free. You can look up your field online. So that's a tool to use. Um, you know, it is kind of worth that caveat of, you know, it may not be exactly right because, you know, they didn't necessarily take those samples from your field. So if you are using web soil survey, just make sure you're also kind of overlaying your, your knowledge, your personal knowledge of the fields too, because sometimes you'll notice things about those fields that, you know, don't quite line up with maybe the borders that um, the web soil survey says. So um, and your, your instincts could very well be correct that there might be, you know, you want to factor that into your zones. So those are just some kind of things that, you know, I've noticed, you know, from looking at web soil survey over the years versus, you know, where we have had at the Research and Outreach Center, a very detailed, you know, soil survey that that does differ in some places. Um, so those are just some things to keep in mind. All right. Are there any last words from the group? Well, I guess one thing I'd, I'd like to point out, and it's it a little bit builds on uh, what Dan just said, uh, uh, one of the analyses I've been doing for, for the last several years is to look at the um, MinSKU adult farm management uh, program record summaries uh, that are available to anybody on the FinBin website. You look at, uh, you can you actually break down the most profitable farms versus the least profitable farms and look at their crop budgets. And what we've discovered now for the last seven or eight years is that the least profitable farms uh, overspend on fertilizer by 20 to 30% compared to the most profitable farms. We don't know specifically what practices those people are engaging in, but this has been consistent year in and year out. We are not seeing over expense on other crop inputs the way we see over expense on fertilizer. Uh, so just uh, kind of be cognizant of that. 
the other thing that I would just say, uh, a reminder, not related to the topic, but, you know, fall is a busy time in the farm. Be cautious, get good rest if you can, but be safe above all, because uh, I know that uh, people put really long days and uh, just take care of yourself too. All right, that about does it for this episode of the Nutrient Management Podcast. We'd like to thank the Agricultural Fertilizer Research and Education Council, or AFREC, for supporting the podcast. Thanks for listening.